Amen. Oh, wow. Well, on Tuesday, as they usually do, I texted Chuck and said, do you have any direction for me for this Sunday? And he said two words, Lord Sabaoth. Now, Lord Sabaoth, I used to think years ago that that meant the Lord of the Sabbath. That's not what that means. I mean, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, but that's not what Lord Sabaoth means. So if you don't know what Lord Sabaoth means, I've got good news for you. In about 45 minutes, you'll know all about it. But actually, we're beginning this morning a two-week series on Lord Sabaoth. That is one of the names of God, and it's really one of the most important names of God that you can understand. So our message this morning is, well, let me, before I do that, I want to read a passage. Isaiah 13, verse 4 says this, Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord of hosts is mustering an army for war. So our message this morning is Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander-in-chief of the armies of God. And this is part one of the two-part series, What Are the Hosts of the Lord? You know, if he's the Lord of hosts, we need to know what his hosts are. But see, the Christian life involves a conflict against demonic forces. Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then it lists what our struggle is against. But one of the things it says our struggle is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's demons. When you came to Jesus, you not only gained a savior, you gained an enemy. When you were born again, you were born on a battlefield. That's why some of you have the problems that you have, because some of you have not realized you're walking around on a battlefield. But Satan hates everything that belongs to God, and that includes you. Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. Now, Jesus said Satan is the God of this world. That is, when Adam and Eve submitted to Satan's temptation, the dominion that God gave to them over the world reverted to Satan. And that's why 1 John says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. That means you're living in enemy territory. And so when you draw close to God, you also need to learn to stand against the devil. And that's why we need to know Yahweh Sabaoth. Now, who is Yahweh Sabaoth? Well, God's names reveal his nature. Yahweh Jireh or Yahweh Yaira means the Lord who provides. God's a provider. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. God's a healer. But one of God's most important names is Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. Sabaoth means a host or an army. 
See, God has all power, but that doesn't mean he does everything himself. In the administration of the universe, God calls on his hosts, his armies, to accomplish his purposes. And that's why Yahweh Sabayoda is sometimes translated the Lord of armies. Yahweh is not only God, a God who heals and provides and cares, he's also the Lord of armies. He's the commander-in-chief of all the forces of heaven. His hosts include, first of all, the host of the physical heavens. That's the sun, the moon, the stars, along with all the forces of nature. They're called the host of heaven. But then there's another host, the host of the spiritual heavens. That's called angels. His hosts also include on the earth the church. That's you. Tell your neighbor he's still talking about you. So you are called to a battle. But the good news is you have a lot going for you. First of all, you have a commander who promised to lead you in triumph. And secondly, you have a lot of very powerful allies standing with you. And so today we want to look at your allies in spiritual warfare. See, if Jesus is the Lord of hosts, who are the hosts? Well, first of all, there's the hosts of the physical heavens, the forces of nature. See, the forces of nature are under his control. We see that in the account of creation. God decreed light, and light came. God decreed dry land, dry land appeared. God decreed life, and it sprang forth. When God decrees, the universe responds. In Psalm 18, when David describes how God came to deliver him, it says, God came in a storm. It says, he parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. And you know, there are many examples in Scripture of God using the forces of nature against the enemy. Joshua chapter 10, I love this account. Joshua 10 verses 7 through 14 says, Joshua marched from Gilgal with his army. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of this enemy, for I have given them into your hand. And it says, the Lord threw the enemy into confusion. And as they fled before Israel, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. That's the forces of nature carrying out God's decree to rescue his people from their enemies. In Deborah's day, Israel had an enemy named Sisera. He was a bad dude. And he had 900 iron chariots. That was the ultimate weapon of the day. It was very hard to overcome iron chariots. With his iron chariots, 
Sisera oppressed Israel for 20 years. And finally, Israel began to cry out to God for deliverance. And God looked down and said, that woman there, I think she's the one I want to use. And so God raises up Deborah to save his people. She calls Barak, and together they lead the army against the enemy. But as Israel goes into the battle, God joins in the fight. It says, a sudden storm flooded the battlefield. And Sisera's 900 iron chariots all got stuck in the mud. The iron chariots were not a problem for God. I'll just send a little rain on the battlefield. And Sisera had to flee on foot to the tent of Jael, who killed him in his sleep. Now, not only do the forces of nature obey his will, but the physical heavens are also under his command. And he sets them in order for our benefit. The Bible teaches that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars and assigned them to specific positions for his own purpose. In Genesis 1.14, it says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons. So they're to be for signs to mark special events. Many times when something unusual is happening, there'll be signs in the sky. When Jesus was born, a special star appeared to mark the event. But they're also to be for seasons. Now, that word season doesn't mean what we think it means. It's actually the word moed. It means for appointed times. That's the word for a biblical feast or a biblical festival. So the heavens set the time for the feasts of God. The hosts of heaven are like a calendar in the sky. God arranged them to establish his timing in our lives. You know, the Jews saw the universe like a giant clock designed to remind us of God's timing. The days are marked by the cycle of the sun. The time of day is marked by its position in the sky. In the temple, there were set times for the morning and evening sacrifice every day. And then you begin to count the days as they pass. And you come to God's weekly cycle, Shabbat. And God says, count seven days and then take a day off from your normal activity and devote it to enjoying God and celebrating his goodness. And then God designed the moon to go through a complete cycle 12 times a year. And that divided our year into 12 months. The word month comes from the word moon. Every month, the Jews watched for the new moon to appear. And when they saw it, they said, a new month has begun. And they had a celebration called Rosh Chodesh, the head of the month, And they came together and they gave a first fruits offering and they praised God and they listened to the prophets. Because every month was a new prophetic season. And so it was important to seek God at the start of every month. Biblical feasts are also linked into the heavens. The first yearly feast is Passover. That was the starting point. You always start with redemption. 
pass over his redemption by the blood of the lamb out of the hand of the enemy. But from Passover, you count seven weeks. That's seven cycles of the sun, and you get Pentecost. Then you count seven months from Passover, seven cycles of the moon, you get the Feast of Tabernacles. So God's heavenly host set the times of God's yearly feasts. When the sky makes a complete rotation, we call that a year. Every year, again, is a new prophetic season. It has a prophetic meaning in the outworking of God's purpose. And so every year we start the Hebrew year, like the Jews do, with the head of the year conference. In Hebrew, it's Rosh Hashanah. We gather together to hear what God is saying prophetically about the new year. And so the heavens above us are really our allies. They're like a giant clock set in place by God to help us stay in God's timing. Because if we align ourselves with God's timing, we can prosper in every season. So who are God's armies? Well, first of all, the physical heavens and all the forces of heaven submit to his leading, to his guidance. Secondly, there are also hosts of God in the spiritual heavens. They're called angels. Angels are part of the hosts of God. They're a supernatural army standing against the powers of darkness. In the Bible, we often see God send out angels to do battle for his people. In 700 B.C., Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, invaded the land of Judah. He conquered the major cities, and then he came down, and his armies surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Assyrians were known throughout the ancient world for being sadistically cruel to torture their conquered peoples. You did not want to be captured by the Assyrians. And so with his army surrounding Jerusalem, Hezekiah the king prays to God. Now you got to see the irony of this sort of. Here is this, hundreds of thousands of armies surrounding the city. Hezekiah prays. And in response, God sent one angel. But it says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men of the Assyrian camp. So Sennacherib withdrew to his own land in, his, in disgrace, where two of his sons killed him with a sword. See, angels are powerful. You don't want to mess with an angel. And angels are set out to defend you. Amen. Psalm 91:11. for he will command his angels. That's plural. That means he's going to send more than one for you. <laughs> he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, what are angels? Now, because of the New Age movement, there's a lot of misinformation about angels out there. So we're going to do sort of a biblical fact check. The Bible dictionary defines an angel this way. Angels are supernatural beings created by God, assigned to act as God's messengers to the human race and as agents to carry out his will. 
Angels are sometimes called spirit beings. That means they are native to a spirit realm, a parallel universe the Bible calls the second heaven. That does not mean they don't have bodies. Angels are not wispy, ethereal creatures. The Bible shows that angels have tangible bodies, and when they enter our realm, they're as real and solid as we are. Did you realize angels eat and drink? I mean, you look in Genesis, when, when angels visited Abram, he fixed a meal for them. And they sat down and ate together. Wouldn't that be fun? You read the Bible, angels use weapons and tools. They play musical instruments. They cook food. You know, in 2 Kings 19, Elijah was really wiped out and tired. So an angel came down and cooked a meal for him. I wonder if it was angel food cake. (laughs) Angels feel solid to the touch. And when angels enter our realm, they are so real and solid, sometimes they're mistaken for human beings. That's what Hebrews 13 says. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. God is saying angels are moving among us. He's saying, be careful how you treat strangers because it might be an angel. God's saying, you have probably seen angels and not known they were angels. I mean, how well do you know that person sitting next to you? (laughs) Now, one, one, one of the things that theologians ponder, you know, theologians ponder many things, is the question, are there female angels? And some theologians teach that angels are only male. That means they have spent too much time studying theology and they've never read their Bible. In Zechariah 5.9, Zechariah writes, Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. And they had wings like those of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Now, if those aren't female angels, I'm not sure what that would be. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in in his commentary said, those winged women were executing God's purposes in the earth. That's the very definition of an angel. So yes, there are female angels. Now, if you want a picture of what angels are like, I mean, I could go into a lot of description, but I'd just like to recommend a series of books I wrote called Iona Portal, Iona Stronghold, and Iona Rising. And while these books are fiction, they give a very helpful picture of angels and demons, the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare. I've had many people say, I finally understood spiritual warfare by reading those books. Now, if you want to look for them, I wrote it under the pen name Robert David McNeil. They're available through Glory of Zion, but also at Amazon. Now, the vast majority of angelic beings live in fellowship with God and enjoy his presence. But there are also fallen angels or demons. 
Now, demons were once angelic beings created by God. They have all the strength and ability of angels, but they followed Satan in his rebellion and were cast down. And together, demons form an army of darkness. They're sent out by Satan to fulfill his purposes and to hinder the work of God in the earth. Ephesians 6 tells us if we are to fulfill our mission and disciple the nations, we're going to have some conflict. And we're going to have to learn to overcome demons. That's why we're in a battle. Now, the good news is we're in a battle, but we've got some help. We have some strong allies. We have angel armies standing with us. Yahweh Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts. Host means armies, as Yahweh Sabaoth, God, is the commander of the armies of heaven. And that includes angels. Now, the good news is there are lots of angels. Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the number of them was myriad of myriads and thousands of thousands. There are lots of angels. By the way, it says Satan led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. That means two-thirds didn't rebel. That means the angels of God outnumber the demons two to one. Now, what do God's angels do? Well, they patrol the earth in Zechariah when Zechariah sees a vision of an angelic horseman. And Zechariah asked the angel, who are these? And the angel answered, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. Angels on patrol. Secondly, angels stand guard. Angels are called watchers. They watch over God's word. They watch over God's promises. They watch over you. Third, they release God's judgment. In Exodus 12, one angel called the destroyer killed all the firstborn of Egypt in one night. In Genesis, two angels destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. In 2 Kings 19, we saw that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Again, angels are powerful. Fourth, they assist God's people. Habakkuk 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Tell your neighbor he's talking about you again. Angels are sent to serve you. You have angels assigned to protect you and to direct you into your destiny. And you know, a lot of times we don't even know what they're doing. When we get to heaven, I think God will sort of put it on instant replay. And we're going to be surprised how often angels intervene in our lives. We'll say, wow, I wouldn't have survived if it hadn't been for the angels. But the Bible says when we are in danger, angels are set out to defend us. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So angels don't just help when they're passing by. They'll come and they'll camp around you. 
I remember years ago, I was going on a mission trip to Romania. I was going to be there for about two weeks, and back then there was not communication in and out of Romania. So basically, I would have no communication from home once I got there. And about two days before I left, Linda got very, very sick. I mean, she was so sick, she could hardly get out of bed. And so my first thought was, I just need to cancel this trip. She said, no, it's very important that you go. I'll be okay. We talked about it and prayed about it and finally decided, okay, I'll go. But it was with a very heavy heart because I was very concerned about Linda. And I remember I got on the plane. We taxied out to the runway. We started to take off. And as we were taking off, I had a vision. And in the vision, I saw our house at nighttime from the air. And looking down at our house, I saw a pillar of fire at all four corners of the house. And I knew what God was showing me. It was a vision of the angels that God had sent to guard our house. And of course, Linda was fine. God wants you to, if God wants you to live your life with a confidence that as long as you are where you are supposed to be, doing what you are supposed to do, God will send his angels to protect you. Number five, angels direct our path. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said, by the way, next time you read the book of Acts, underline the word angels wherever you see it. They were everywhere in the early church, and the early church recognized them. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip followed the angel's direction, and he found an Ethiopian official who was ready to receive Jesus. And a whole nation was reached. See, angels will guide you into divine appointments. Number six, angels continually praise God. You know, the early Christian, we always picture the angels just sort of standing there singing. The early Christian writers pictured angels joining in a continual ring dance, dancing a praise dance around the throne of God. Job describes angels singing for joy as they watched God create the world. Number seven, Angels stand in awe at what God is doing for us. See, God never did for an angel what he did for you. God never sent his son to die for an angel. Angels are amazed at what God has done for you. It says they long to look into the mysteries of redemption. They celebrate every time a sinner repents. Angels watch and observe as we come and we meet together. They often join in when we pray. Sometimes you can hear them. And see, angels are here right now. Lift your hand. Welcome the angels. Angels of God, we welcome you here. You are welcome in this place. Join us as we praise the God of creation. Now, how are we supposed to relate to angels? Well, we're not supposed to pray to angels. We're not supposed to worship angels. We're not supposed to trust in angels. Our trust is in God. 
But God wants us to know who the angels are and what they do. And knowing that the angels are standing with you should increase your faith. When the devil looks at you and says, you think you're, you're going to get away from me, you and what army? <laughs> you can tell him. <laughs> the host of heaven, the angels of God will fight on my side. See, as you face the battles ahead, God wants you to know you have powerful allies. As you align with God's purpose, angels will be there. So don't be afraid. You have God's army on your side. So let God stir up your faith. Let God open your eyes to the angels that are all around you. Because the angels are here. See, the God we serve is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And as you trust him, he will send his hosts to stand with you. And so as a step of faith, I want to just close out the message today with an opportunity to thank him for his hosts. You know, the hosts of God are there for you. The hosts of God are sent by God to enable you to carry out your destiny. So first of all, the host of heaven and all the forces of nature serve him. So thank you, Lord, that you will direct all the forces of nature on my behalf. Let's, say that, let's pray that again. Let's say it together. Thank you, Lord, that you will direct all the forces of nature on my behalf. Number two. The host of the spiritual heavens, the angels, are standing with you. Thank you, Lord, that you will send the angels of heaven to back me up. Let's say that one more time with conviction. Thank you, Lord, that you will send the angels of heaven to back me up. And then number three, see, you are also part of his hosts. We're going to look at that next week. But thank God for his promise that he will stand with you in every battle you face. So thank you that you will rescue me from every attack of the enemy. Thank you that you will rescue me from all the attacks of the enemy. Thank you that you will rescue me from all the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we thank you. You are Yahweh Sabaoth. Now, next week, we're going to look at part two, how you can know God as the Lord of hosts. But Lord, we praise you as Yahweh Sabaoth. Lord, all the forces of nature submit to you. They serve you. Lord, all of the angelic hosts commit to you. They serve you. They carry out your bidding. And Lord, as we are your host also, Lord, lead us in triumph into all of the, into our destiny that you have called us to, to see your harvest brought in in the earth. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's all stand up. Thank you, Robert. Robert makes things very clear. 
very ordered. Robert, we're grateful for how you teach. Thank you. So before we go, I just want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the good news is part two is next week. We look forward to seeing you all back next Sunday. Y'all have a great week.